story. So um, my grandma, she is lovely, of course she is. I'm going to say that because she's my grandma. Um, but she um, tells this really funny story um, about her when she was a little girl. And I think I was about 14 when she first told me the story. Um, and um, we, we were around the table, all of the family, and she, we were talking about, you know, what's the worst thing that we've ever done in our lives? And she says, oh, the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And this is how she, this is the story of the worst thing my grandma's ever done in her life. And this is the story she told. So she was a little girl, and um, I think she was just kind of walking home from school one day by herself, and she walked past the grocer's shop, and there was fruit and vegetables outside on display, as there usually is. And she just felt really like this massive impulse just to grab something and steal it. And this wasn't at all like my grandma. She was quite good growing up. She was responsible, quite sensible. And she's like, it just took, you know, it just overtook me. And I just thought, I've got to grab something. I've got to take something. This rebellious streak that she'd never had before. So she just grabbed the nearest thing and just ran in a panic. Um, I think she thought someone was chasing her, but they, were, they weren't chasing her. No one was chasing her, but she ran and ran and ran. She's like, I ran for so long. I ran until I could breathe. <clears throat> and then she stopped and realized that she'd stolen one Brussels sprout, <laughs> which you can't even eat. I mean, it's ridiculous. You have to cook it before you can eat it. And she's like, I didn't even like Brussels sprouts. I don't even know why I chose, why I chose a Brussels sprout. But, um, <laughs> and that's the worst thing she's ever done, um, which is probably true because my grandma is so lovely. It probably is the worst thing she's ever done. Um, the reason why I'm telling this story is because I'm asking us uh, this morning, um, have we ever made an impulsive decision like that? You know, have we ever felt on the run, you know, from a, something in our past that was a mistake? Um, and have we ever reached that point of like, oh, good, you know, no one knows, I'm safe, it's all behind me, it's all in the past. Well, that is how Moses' adult life uh, begins. And so we've been doing this series on looking at Exodus, and we're now going into Exodus chapter 3. Um, and we're looking at kind of Moses now entering into manhood. Um, and in, basically in chapter 2, what happens is just, just before um, the passage that we're going to look at today is that Moses sees one of his own people who is a Hebrew slave and he's being beaten by an Egyptian and something inside, just like my grandma, just something inside, just this impulse happens and um, he, he kind of snaps. Anyway, he kills the Egyptian, he hides the body, and then the very next day, um, he very hypocritically tries to break up a fight between two people, two Hebrews. Um, and this kind of hidden sin from the previous day is very quickly exposed. Pharaoh finds out um, that his adopted grandson has murdered this Egyptian um, and begins to pursue him, and, and Moses runs away. He escapes, and he runs for 300 miles I don't think my grandma run, ran for 300 miles, but Moses runs for 300 miles um, east of Egypt until he reaches this land called Midian, and he stops running. He meets these seven uh, sisters, seven young women, um, and he rescues them from some shepherds. Um, then he marries one of them, and he becomes a father. Yeah, they have a son, and then he begins to settle down into the life of a husband, a father, son-in-law, and a shepherd looking after um, his father-in-law's sheep. Now, meanwhile, in Egypt, this life that he's left behind, you know, the years are passing by, that pharaoh that was chasing him and after him dies. Um, but in their slavery, the Israelites are crying out, they're, and it says they're groaning out to God to save them, to rescue them, and God <coughs> hears them. 
He remembers the promise that he's made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he's looking on at his beloved children who are oppressed, who are enslaved. And it says that God knows their pain. He feels their pain. That's the very end of chapter 2. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus um, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Just a few short verses, but they're so good. Um, And we're going to be looking at this encounter that Moses has with God at the burning bush, where he hears God's call on his life. And I've called this um, talk all fired up and ready to go, because um, that's how Moses kind of responded to this call. And we're kind of going to be asking ourselves and exploring what does it look like for us to respond in that way, all fired up and ready to go. So we're going to read um, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open it there. Um, so this is what it says. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I absolutely love those verses. I love this encounter that Moses has with God. So the first thing um, we're going to be looking at here is how the Lord appears to Moses in the ordinary to reveal his extraordinary plan and his extraordinary call on Moses' life. So in verse 1, we have Moses here tending the sheep and leading them through the wilderness. And he reaches this mountain. Um, And so this epic Exodus story, which so many of us in the room will know, kind of pivots around this remarkable encounter um, that Moses has with God. And it completely transforms the whole course of his life. But it begins on a very ordinary day. Um, Moses is in an ordinary place and he's just doing an ordinary thing, tending the flock. This is the equivalent of myself, you know, working away in the pharmacy or my husband Stephen um, working away at the job centre. It's basically just another day in the office for Moses until God appears in the ordinary to reveal the extraordinary. So a few times in my life I've I've kind of heard God's whisper um, in a similar way where he whispers through ordinary, everyday things um, to reveal something exciting. Um, So about three years ago, um, we had had a couple of wonderful things happen to us. We'd had um, a new baby, so we've got four girls, and we'd had our youngest daughter, Beth. And we'd also, two weeks later, moved into this lovely new house. Um, And it was exciting, it was really good, it was really busy, it was really crazy to do those two things very close to each other. Um, but we kind of hit that moment afterwards, after a few months kind of passed, where, and I'm sure probably quite a few of you can relate, even though the things that have happened to you are good, uh, because it's a lot of change all at once, you kind of have a bit of an anticlimax moment afterwards where reality sets in. So I was at home with these two preschoolers. I had two, two at school and two um, preschoolers, with just 20 months between them, um, looking after them, and that's, that's busy. Uh, trying to basically make this new house feel like a home as well, and keep it tidy and clean. Uh, family life was really hectic, 
sometimes, um, and one of our daughters really wasn't enjoying her new school, which was stressful for all of us. And also in amongst all of that, Stephen, my husband, was really unhappy at work. He was beginning to get quite unsettled in his job. So we had all of that going on. And then, so it kind of just felt like this kind of big cloud began to kind of loom over um, us. And I was starting to have that feeling of just losing hope. So anyway, every day I would kind of go about all my day-to-day business, washing and dishes and all this stuff that uh, life was at that, at that time. And um, I wouldn't really call it praying. I was kind of just muttering under my breath. I don't know if you've ever talked to God like that, where you're not really praying, but you're kind of just muttering stuff to him under your breath about how you're maybe not very happy about life. Um, I didn't really feel very close to him, um, but I really did try to lean in and trust that he was uh, listening and that he was interested in how I felt. I just really desperately wanted him to speak. Then one sunny day, um, I was just, I so vividly remember it now, I was doing dishes um, and looking out into the back garden. I just saw this crow land on the grass outside. And something in me just thought I needed to watch this bird. Um, I'm not usually a bird watcher. (laughs) My dad likes watching birds, but I don't. Um, But yeah, I was like, I feel like I need to watch this crow for some reason. So anyway, I watched this crow and quickly it flew off and I thought, oh wow, nothing interesting. But then it came back and it landed on the fence, um, just like the back fence. Um, And I thought, oh right, it's back again. And something within me just knew that this crow represented all the negative stuff that was going on. And so I was kind of annoyed that it was back. So I was like, come on, crows like kind of represent bad stuff and now this bad stuff's back. Like, what's going on? Um, You know, I got a bit annoyed at this crow for some reason. Um, But, and I was like, you know, I thought God wants to take all these negative things away. I thought he wanted to take all these problems away. And then I thought, right, I'm just reading into too much. It's just a bird. It's just flying around. Um, But then it kept sort of flying away and coming back. But every time it came back, it was like further away each time. And eventually, the last time I saw it, it was right in the distance um, on top of this tree. It was the same crow. Um, But it was like it was leaving in stages in this kind of gradual way. And at that point, I thought, ah, that's what it means. It's like, these things will go, but it's just going to take a bit of time, and it's going to be in stages that all these stresses will disappear. And I just, I don't know, I just knew it was a whisper from God of hope. Um, And I began to thank him, um, you know, just for this promise that he was making. Um, And I just went to step away from the window, and honestly, I've never seen this before or since, but about 30, I think they were swifts, or bird like a swift anyway, and 30 of them just came into the garden and just was swooping and diving in and out, like only over our garden, in and out and circling above and swooping back down. And it was like they were having this dance in the back garden. And I was like, I just stood there I was like, what? This is crazy. I'm not interested in birds, but now I am. <laughs> um, and I just thought, this is amazing. Like God doesn't just want to take away all these stresses. He wants to give us so much and so, uh, so much joy um, it's just such a joyful moment to watch these birds. And that is exactly what happened. Like, over the next few months and years, um, he called us here into this adventure in the Highlands to be part of this church plant. Um, and also, just he was so faithful during that time. He was so kind. He provided everything that we needed. It was um, grace upon grace. And I really feel like that is an encouragement for some of us um, this morning, you know, that our life might feel like that, it's really boring, repetitive, mundane. We just feel like, what, what are we doing? Like, we're not even making a difference. It's just the same every day, day in, day out. And I'm really feeling quite inadequate. But 
God's promise is that he is there with us um, and that we just need to look for him. Matthew um, chapter 7 verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I love that bit, seek and you will find. It's God's promise to us when those of us who are in that place um, of the mundane. So, back to our story. On uh, this ordinary day, you know, Moses catches this glimpse of this bush and it's on fire. And I was thinking about this, I was like, well, it probably wasn't that unusual. You know, this was a dry, hot wilderness. You know, maybe bushes were on fire quite often. But something about it just catches Moses' eye and he soon notices that it's not an ordinary bush on fire. Because although it's covered in these flames, the bush is totally intact and it's not burning up. Moses is completely amazed and mystified and he's looking at it from a distance like there's something strange going on. So he decides to go over and to get a closer look and to have a, basically to investigate. And as I've been kind of looking at this, I was, this image of this bush um, has just, you know, it's covered in fire, but it's not burned up. It's just really stuck in my mind. And I think like, there's a few of us, again, who maybe in this room who just feel like we can relate to that bush because we feel like we are that bush. We feel like we're in the fire. Um, you know, we've been singing a little bit about storms uh, this morning, and that's how, a bit how, how it feels. You know, we feel overwhelmed um, by negative things, by stress, by pressure. Um, and maybe it even sometimes feels like, you know, we're in danger, um, that we're surrounded by these flames and we're actually in danger of being burnt up. Um, again, I, I love this story of um, Daniel in Daniel chapter 3 of the three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who are thrown into this fiery furnace um, and the flames are surrounding them. They're being engulfed. You know, it's almost like they're being suffocated. But in that suddenly this man appears um, and it's, you know, God's presence right there alongside with them. This fourth, fourth person that's seen in the fire. And in that story, they, these men come out completely unharmed. It says not a single hair on their head was singed. And that is what God's promise to us is if we're in that place of just feeling like we're surrounded, he's with us in that. And also we will be unharmed because of his presence with us. He, we will not be consumed because he is with us. And actually, sometimes in those moments, what's really going on is like gold, we're being put into the fire. Our faith is being refined, it's being purified, so that we can come out of there trusting God more than we've ever trusted him before. So that's God's promise, that we won't be destroyed by life's flames because we're not alone in the fire. Last Sunday was uh, Pentecost Sunday, and this is a day to remember how God's Holy Spirit was given to the disciples after Jesus uh, returned to heaven. And um, that, that was a moment of being empowered for the mission ahead. You know, we have not been left alone. The Holy Spirit is still with us. And in fact, in the Bible, the presence of uh, the Holy Spirit is sometimes represented by fire. Um, in Acts chapter 2, when it describes this uh, Pentecost moment, uh, it says that the disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. Like the burning bush, um, flames of fire were resting on these disciples, but they weren't being burned. A very similar image. And that probably looked a bit strange. <laughs> Imagine right now, if you're looking around the room and there's fire resting on people and they're like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a bit strange. I'd be like, this is strange. Um, and um, 
you know, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes those kind of Holy Spirit moments are, they do look a bit strange. Um, and when the Holy Spirit comes in that way to empower us, yeah, we can look around the room and go, what's going on? This looks a bit strange. Um, you know, in those moments, sometimes things like this can happen. We can be completely overcome with emotion. Things like uncontrollable tears or just making some strange groaning noises or people laughing, um, you know, shaking or trembling. Sometimes in those moments, we can feel like we actually can't stand up anymore and we need to either sit down or lie down. Um, I don't know about you, we'll all have, maybe have different experiences of church, but I grew up in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Um, and there might be a few of us in the room that, that can relate to this, but I basically, as a child, got quite used to seeing, you know, people like lying down on the floor on a Sunday um, in the service. And in those kind of churches, you kind of get used to the signs, the sort of the swaying of the person in front, and you're like, move the chairs quick, <laughs> they're going down. I remember that. I remember like just being behind, like, why do we always have to move chairs around on Sundays? What's going on? For, for some of, some of us, um, you know, our thoughts are the same as Moses' thoughts on, on all of that. You know, that's strange. That looks strange from here. And, uh, but unlike him, we're not really wanting to get a closer look. We're like, that's fine, just keep your distance. In fact, some of us can be a little bit confused by what's going on and maybe even actually scared about what is going on in those moments. I actually used to be one of those people who was a bit nervous about that whole uh, thing. But I can honestly tell you, hand on heart, since then, um, that when I have opened up um, to the Holy Spirit, kind of meeting me in that kind of a way, um, those have been the most powerful and beautiful moments that I've had with Jesus, where he just feels so close and so near. And also the moments where I've heard his voice most clearly and just felt him calling me into stuff and breaking chains and just, yeah, healing things. And there's something about those moments that can actually sometimes bring you nearer to God, nearer to Jesus in a way that nothing else can, opening up in that kind of way, where we, we just say, yeah, you can have it all, Lord. So now I don't really mind if I make a few strange noises, or if I end up in tears and have to get through a whole box of tissues on a Sunday, if, if that happens, I don't really mind. God is saying to some of us maybe today that, you know, don't be afraid of encountering my Holy Spirit in that kind of a way. It's not something to be afraid of. It's my presence. It's not something to be afraid of. And just like the bush, it might feel a bit like our hearts are set on fire, reignited, but we will not get damaged or burnt up in that process. So Moses turns aside from what he's doing, tending the flock, and he approaches the burning bush to get a closer look. And then in verse 4 it says, um, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. Now, if we think about it, at this point, we don't, if we imagine that we don't know the rest of the, the story about Moses, at this point, he is absolutely not what you would call an ideal candidate for the job that is ahead. He's recently murdered somebody. Um, he then hid the body. He didn't even confess. He then is a complete hypocrite by trying to break up a fight the next day. And then he runs away. He runs away from the consequences of his actions. Now he's living 300 miles away, basically hiding from his past. He's a fugitive. He's a foreigner. He's a bit of a coward. Um, 
Well, that is one way that we can look at Moses at this point in his life. But God, I believe, sees him in a completely different light. Because God always looks at our potential. And that's what God sees. He sees the potential that Moses has. In chapter 2, just after he has run from Egypt, Moses arrives in this place in Midian. He sits down by a well. And this is what happens. This is what it says. It says, A priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. That's the Moses that God sees. He got up, he came to their rescue, and then he watered their flock. This Moses, he witnesses these seven young women being harassed, and he absolutely cannot sit back and do nothing about it. He has to stand up for them. This is the Moses who... Uh, steps in when he sees an injustice. It's the very thing actually really caused him to sin because he saw this injustice of this Hebrew being beaten. The Moses who rescues the oppressed, the Moses who defends the weak, is the Moses that God sees. So God doesn't dwell on our past or our pedigree. Um, I read that this week. Um, He sees our potential. I love that. He doesn't care about our past or our pedigree. He sees our potential. And all the things that we can think of that make us completely unworthy of being called by him. Things like this, like our inadequate gifting, all our sinful behavior. In Moses' case, even his criminal record. God's focus (coughs) is absolutely not on that stuff. Um, So I'm a community pharmacist. Um, and there's a new service um, which has kind of been rolled out recently into pharmacies. And basically, um, we can sometimes prescribe antibiotics for urine infections. But there's very strict parameters, um, you know, and um, basically there's this whole list of exclusion criteria that we have to be aware of for this service. So, um, and it's all for good reason. There's completely valid reasons as to why they're there. So we can't prescribe the antibiotics for men or for you know, children, or for um, over 65s preg- in pregnancy. Um, and the list goes on, certain symptoms, you know, we have to refer them to the doctor. And like I say, it's all for good reason. There's a reason why all of that is there. Um, but this idea of this exclusion criteria, some of us here have written for ourselves exclusion criteria as to why God can't be calling us into a specific purpose. And they're good reasons. It's not that they're not valid. Most of them are completely valid. You know, things to do with our confidence. Like, I'm absolutely not a confident person. Or I'm just, I failed in the past. I can't fail again. I can't risk it. Um, I'm not a risk taker. It just doesn't come naturally to me. I look at them and they're so natural. You know, when they do it, it's just obviously part of who they are. But I can't do that. It's just, that doesn't come naturally to me. Or even doubts about, you know, I'm not really sure if that was God. That's probably just me. Maybe I'm being proud to think I could do that. But actually, you know, God, I don't think that was God's voice after all. Or maybe even it's too late. You know, it's too late for me. I know I heard God's call maybe when I was younger. But it's too late now. I can't be used anymore. So if that's you in the room, um, can I suggest you you just rip up that list? today because um, there is no exclusion criteria. There was no exclusion criteria for Moses and there is no exclusion criteria for us. God is always calling us. He always has a plan for us. 
He always sees us as worthy of being part um, of his core because he sees our potential and not our failures and he does have very specific purposes um, things that are going to impact others in this city, in this place, in our workplaces, on our streets, in our families. You know, he has such amazing love and, and power and freedom that he wants to bring into the places where we are. And he wants to use us to do that. And so I just very, very quickly um, felt like this week, God just, these kind of pictures just fell into my head of a few different people um, might be in the room, I might not be, and that's fine if I'm completely wrong, but four different people who I feel, or at least four different people, four different situations where God just wants to highlight potential um, that he sees in you. And I don't know what they mean, but if they mean something to you, then you'll know. So the first person was playing peekaboo with a child on a bus, and it wasn't their own child, but they were just playing peekaboo with a child on a bus. And I just feel like that's something a lot to do with working with children, or something to do with children, God sees potential in you. Uh, the other was um, somebody looking through a microscope. They have a love, you know, if that's you, you have a love for science. You're completely fascinated by it. You're intrigued. You're captivated. Um, and yeah, there's something in that. There's something in that that God's calling you into. Um, another one was someone dancing. Um, and I think it was when they were a child, but specifically tap dancing um, and they won quite a lot of awards and medals. And again, there's something in that. There's something in the creativity, um, the confidence. There's something in that. And the last one was somebody crying. Um, and they were in bed crying, couldn't sleep, um, to the point where the pillow was quite wet, um, just couldn't stop crying. And it was like there was this deep sadness, but also compassion that was for either somebody or something or a group of people. And um, you would describe it as it tears you up on the inside. Um, so if, if, if any of them mean anything to anyone, they'll make sense. You'll have some idea of what God is saying. Um, but do please share that with someone today and uh, maybe come for prayer or ask someone to pray with you and ask God to, to clarify what he's saying. So back to our story. The, um, this kind of encounter with God... Um, it says in verse 4, this is what happens next. So God um, called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. These are three very powerful, life-changing words, especially if you say them to God. <laughs> it's a risk. It's a risky thing to do. But it's good. Here I am. What Moses is saying is, he is ready. I'm ready, Lord. And actually, the literal kind of translation means, see me. Like, because I'm here, I'm right here where you are, Lord, see me. Because of his uh, readiness to answer God's call, a whole nation, hundreds and thousands of people are rescued from slavery. And Moses becomes this incredible leader who is known for his faithfulness and his closeness to God. But there's a different rescue plan that we're all being invited into today. We're all invited to play our part. Here's the plan. I might cry because <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's to bring hope to the poor, to set brokenhearted free. It's for blind eyes to see once again. It's to share outside of this room with this beautiful city, with this beautiful country, a message of good news. 
that God is for every single one of us. He is not against us. It's to join Jesus in leading God's beloved children home to live forever with him in heaven, which is the true promised land. It's the, it's the Exodus story that we're all part of right now. That is the rescue plan, and I, I just love it. God is calling us by name today. So what will our answer be? So when I call my children by name, <laughs> I get some interesting answers. Uh, sometimes I get this, hang on a minute, and nothing happens. Um, or this one, what do you want? They won't come until they know what it is I want. Or, I don't really like this one very much. I'm just finishing this episode. <laughs> it's usually about half an hour long. Um, or the worst one of all. This is it. <laughs> Absolute silence. Ah, drives me crazy. Will our answer be like that to God? I just want to close very quickly with this image. So, Harriet who is our 10-year-old daughter, is absolutely desperate for a dog. She's probably already told you. Um, but me and Stephen have never had dogs. Um, we didn't have them growing up, so it feels like this big decision to make. We're not really keen on the idea uh, of having a dog. But Harriet one day said, just a few months ago, she said, but mom, it'll be my best friend forever. And I almost cried. <laughs> so it kind of pulls a bit on the heartstrings. Anyway, I've started to study dogs and their owners, just doing a bit of research. Um, and uh, I like to people watch some of us will like to people watch but now I'm dog watching as well so I'm looking for people that have dogs like how do they cope, what do they do, what's the tricks um, anyway so I saw a few weeks ago this man and he was uh, walking two dogs so one of them was pulling uh, the lead and just excited, ready for adventure it was like he was sniffing around, he was onto a scent he's like pulling ahead um, on his owner like come on, come on, hurry up he, he just was so excited to be out um, and he was leading the way. But then um, this other dog <laughs> was so funny. It was just like completely in a sulk, like dragging its heels. Do they have heels? I don't know. Dragging his paws along. Like, I do not want to be out. I do not like moving. I was comfortable at home. And so this, like, the man was completely stuck in the middle. He was like, ah! like dragging his dog along. And the... yeah, It didn't look like a good place to be. In fact, it looked really exhausting. This man was like completely fed up. But then a few days after seeing uh, those dogs, I saw um, a different dog. And this time there was just one dog. And I think the girl was looked about 9, 10, and she was taking this dog for a walk. And it was a completely different picture because she had a dog like the first dog. Um, it was leaping, bounding, you know, kind of pulling along, like ready for venture. But she was joining in because she didn't have another dog to drag her behind. You know, she was running after this dog. Um, and she was just laughing her head off. She was having an absolute whale of a time. And it was just such a joyful picture of what it looks like when we say yes to being led by the call of God. Okay, we need some energy. You know, we still need to put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes we've still got to walk that walk, or, you know, it's a race to be run. Um, but it is marked with joy. It's an experience marked with joy. It's an adventure, and it's absolutely always the best place to be. So, how do we respond to God's call in our lives today? Like Moses, are we all fired up and ready to go? Or do we need to do one of these things? Maybe we could stand, actually, while we reflect on how we're going to respond to what God is doing with us today.
Do we need to do one of these things? Begin to look for an extraordinary God in the ordinary of life. Do we need to remember that we're not alone in the flames and that we will come out unharmed? Maybe we need to say yes to the Holy Spirit reigniting our hearts again or ripping up that list of exclusion criteria that we've written for ourselves. Or is it time to let go of that gloomy, stubborn dog who's dragging us um, back and say yes to going on a new adventure with God? Maybe the band could uh, come up. Um, and I, was, um, I just read um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 in a new translation this week. And it's almost like a prayer, so I'm going to pray it. And if you feel like you want to pray it along with me, then you can just agree with, agree with it in your heart. But it's from um, this translation called the Passion Translation. So Lord, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I do run with passion into your abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.